0: But let's start tonight with a soundtrack of a different kind in Ottawa, one perhaps that people were there at least were hoping not to have to hear again the sounds of protest. Uh, they've been bracing for an event of a different kind. It's already underway tonight. Hundreds of motorcycles and other vehicles are expected to roll into the nation's capital this weekend for what organizers say will be a peaceful celebration of, quote, freedom. The event called Rolling Thunder Ottawa has raised concerns about a repeat of that trucker convoy. We all remember that, uh, that paralyzed the city for weeks over the winter. Here's what it sounded like in front of the Rito Center. That's right downtown, down the street from Parliament Hill, but a fair ways uh, this evening. Well, doesn't that sound familiar? Um, The organization behind the protest is partnered with several groups apparently linked to the so-called Freedom Convoy from the past winter. The group hasn't really been clear about what they're rallying for, but protesters say that it's pretty much similar to what was happening back in the winter. They say they plan to leave on Sunday. Already tonight, police are tweeting that due to an escalation of crowd, aggression officers were deployed with helmets and shields in order to clear the crowds at Rideau in Sussex, where we were just hearing from there. Uh, several arrests have been made, apparently. Police remain on scene. Now, many residents in downtown Ottawa, keep in mind, this is an area, this isn't the rich part of Ottawa. This isn't Rockcliffe, where the politicians live or where the prime minister did live. Um, this is sort of where people who work or go to school in Ottawa, that's where they live. That's where the normal folk in Ottawa live. So needless to say, they're not so happy about having the horns back. Mary Huang is the president of the Centertown Community Association.
1: A lot of them are concerned. Some are scared and some are mad because it's... Uh it's beyond what a lot consider reasonable.
0: Well, Ottawa's interim police chief is telling organizers and participants of uh, the protest that they will be held accountable for their actions. Here's Steve Bell. We've been really clear. We're not going to tolerate any sort of unlawful activity that indicates any sort of longer-term occupation of any area of our city. We will be very responsive and very proactive in identifying and dismantling any sort of circumstances like that. That's Ottawa's interim police chief, Steve Bell. Well, joining me now from Ottawa is Michael Kempa. He's an associate professor of criminology at the University of Ottawa and someone who has kept a very close watch on the events of this year so far, 2022. Hard to imagine this has all happened just since February. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you. So what is the mood in Ottawa tonight? Certainly there was a lot of anticipation.
1: A lot of anticipation and tension, uh, in fact. I mean, people are very much waiting to see whether this thing will be easily managed by the police, whether it will clear out in a reasonable period of time, or if more numbers of protesters may show up tomorrow on Saturday to make the situation more difficult. That memory of the crowd swelling on the weekends back in January and February has really um, set a lot of people on edge in Ottawa.
0: I can imagine. Um, Certainly, the interim police chief is sounding a much stronger or stricter sounding line. Uh, Police seem infinitely more prepared this time. Is that about right?
1: Definitely. In a lot of ways, it's not about the police getting any new authorities or powers or capacities, but remembering the very same things that they've always had. The police have always had the ability to control the flow of traffic during times of major protest. They've done it every year for Canada Day, shutting off the Central Business District to vehicular traffic. But of course, with COVID and a period of relative calm in our society, a long period of time with only isolated protests, we've almost forgotten how to do all of this. It was a big awakening in January and February, and the rust is off. We're now seeing much more normal policing response to these types of protest movements.
0: For those of us who may have turned our eyes away from Ottawa a bit since the end of those winter protests, since the end of the blockade, what kind of fallout has there been through all this, specifically for the police, but also for the city? I mean, there were a lot. There was a lot of finger pointing back, uh, back in February.
1: Well, there's finger pointing all around, and I sure understand it. I mean, people are saying, how did this happen? Who's to blame? How did things escalate to the point that we had an occupation that went on for weeks and weeks and weeks? I really get that. But the thing that we've been saying all along is even when our streets were cleared in Ottawa, there was a bigger problem that didn't go away. And that's there's about a million people across Canada who are seriously angry with the state system. They are willing to listen to many more extreme messages coming from organizers that have an interest in fanning up these types of protests for their own political purposes. So whether we find blame or somebody did something wrong with the last protest, it doesn't fix the problem. That there's a million people who will organize and have different forms of convoys and confrontational protests unless we find a way to pull people back into the mainstream of our political system.
0: Michael, what do we know about the Rolling Thunder event this week and and how allied it is or how close it is to what happened over the uh, over the winter and and the groups that were involved in that in those protests?
1: Pretty close, and this is a big lesson for Canadians, and that's that far-right activist movements are typically not very long-lived. They mutate, they transform. It's the sort of same groups of fellow travelers that just coalesce around different issues that are bothering people at a moment in time. So for a while, it was vaccine mandates. This time around, the messaging is much more muddled because obviously many of the vaccine mandates have been repealed. So they move around, they change the name, Leadership comes and goes. It gets arrested or taken out of circulation. The next tier of leadership moves forward. This is what we'll continue to see. We're not fighting a simple group of people who are out to get us. It's a social movement that has to be addressed through sensible state action.
0: Michael, what do you think that looks like? I mean, there are a lot of people out there, obviously, politicians who are speaking to some of the same uh, sentiments that we're seeing amongst uh, those who are gathered. This weekend, they've been gathered here in Victoria, where I am over weekends at Stop now, but for several weekends in a row, they were gathered here. Uh, what do you think needs to be done to be able to try and find some way to, to build a bridge to those who are so angry with the system that they would essentially disrupt a capital city yet again? And in this case, you know, risk arrest, risk conf- confrontations with the police?
1: I think the biggest thing is, on the far, far right, there are many attitudes that a democratic state simply can't do business with. So we're talking if we're talking about racism, or if we're talking about a completely intolerant immigration policy, these are things that are non-starters for a democratic state. But a little bit less to the far right, there are a lot of people who are just very angry with what they see as a globalized system, where jobs have dried up and been sent to lower-income countries to do our labor for a lower price, excluding Canadians from international markets. We may not agree with these views, but they are within the realm of acceptable democratic debate. We've got to simply engage people in policies and listen to what they have to say as long as we're not talking about racism and violence. We can't be too uh, smug on the progressive left or whatever we might call ourselves. We have to understand that there are very many people who do not see the way the world, the world the way that we do necessarily?
0: Michael, do you think we pay too much attention in these cases? I mean, I, I hate to use the term "bad apples," but do we? Sp- Do we not hear what's being said in these protests because we're paying so much attention to all the things that you were talking about just now that the the very obvious problems with some of these groups, the grift, the, you know, the the taking advantage of of these things for personal gain and so forth. Uh, Clearly, there's a lot of people out there who believe fundamentally in in their in their reasons and their rights to be there who aren't necessarily um, out to do harm or to do damage.
1: Yes, we do pay too much attention to, I suppose, the so-called bad apples. Part of it is they love the attention and they attempt to attract it to themselves. And they, in fact, fight amongst themselves to get the biggest pieces of attention. But also, we have a hard time imagining as Canadians that there are about a million of us who are very upset with the state. We think in Canada that this is not an issue for us. This is an American problem. This is a European problem. But we all imagine that there's some sort of consensus in Canada about what it means to be a Canadian citizen, what it means to be a good democratic subject. There's a lot of debate here. We have to acknowledge it and see some of the people who are not on the extreme right and essentially do democratic business with them. We have no choice. It's not the same as getting in bed and and doing business with a bunch of racists. It's dealing with people who have different political views, who are not that far radicalized. We should ignore, I think, some of these bad apples and starve them of the attention that they so capably court.
0: I'm speaking with Michael Kempa, the Associate Professor of Criminology at the University of Ottawa. Someone who's spent the last month's paying very close attention first to the blockade of Parliament Hill back in the winter, now this weekend again to a new protest that is moving in on Ottawa. When we come back, we'll talk a bit more about what to expect for the rest of this weekend, what's anticipated, and also a bit more this week about the inquiry launched into the, it was automatic, there had to be one, but the inquiry launched into the use of the Emergencies Act, the invocation of the Emergencies Act, uh, and what uh, what Professor Kempa thinks of that. We'll, we'll be back. I'm speaking with Michael Kempa, Associate Professor of Criminology at the University of Ottawa. We're talking about protests planned. They've already begun uh, in Ottawa this weekend. Rolling Thunder, it's called. Uh, Hundreds of vehicles, bikers expected to be in the city this week. Uh, Some activity in front of the Rideau Centre today, which is right downtown uh, in Ottawa. I I guess you mentioned it earlier, Michael. I guess the concern now is that swelling on the weekend like we saw back in January.
1: That's the main worry. How many people will show up tomorrow on Saturday. If it is more or less along the lines of what came today, and we're looking at something like about 1,000 to 2,000 people, it would be manageable. If it spikes for some strange reason back up to eight to 10,000 as it was in, in January, February, that becomes difficult for about 2,000 police officers on the ground to maintain the type of um, on-top-of-things operation that they've got going right now.
0: There must be a lot of pressure on on the city, on the police, on politicians, too, not to see a repeat of what happened this winter.
1: Huge amount of pressure, and they're keenly aware of it. I mean, the police chief came right out. Interim Chief Bell came right out and said, we know the community is watching. This is really our last opportunity to uh, regain the trust of the people of Ottawa. We cannot allow another occupation. So, I mean, apart from shutting down the central business district to uh, uncheck vehicular traffic and moving along with uh, police assisted tow trucks for anybody who stops, there's really not much more that the police can do. They're enforcing bylaws. they're enforcing local laws. as long as they've got uh, personnel power superiority, what they used to call manpower superiority, they'll be they'll be fine
0: because of course, as you mentioned earlier, they have the powers to do what they need to do provided that everything continues the way it has so far, which brings me back to what I wanted to ask you about uh, as a last question. We saw this week the inquiry launched into the use, the invocation of the Emergencies Act. I was just wondering what your impression was, because like, you spent so much time talking about, I mean, you were really one of the go-to people when it came to that whole episode. And, and there's so many lessons to learn here. Uh, do you think it goes far enough? Is it transparent enough? So the Emergencies
1: Act was the least worse option for me. I was very clear. I thought where we got to, by mid-February was clearly an emergency. The civil power, the ordinary policing institutions were just not capable of dealing with the situation. And you regrettably had no choice to use the Emergencies Act at that time. In the real world, following along from an emergency situation, governments will always hold information back. That's what governments do. They will say it's in the national interest to keep certain information secret. They will say it's in the national interest to maintain cabinet confidence. There is no precise legal definition of the national interest. The national interest is only what the government says it is, balanced with what the public will tolerate. So if the public wants government to release as much information as legitimately can be released, we've got to maintain pressure on the government to be forthcoming. If we let them sort of skate and we don't say too much, they'll tell us very little. The only information that the government should hold back now is information that relates to ongoing criminal prosecutions or legitimately connected to a national security issue, such as knowledge about a terrorist organization. We might not want them to know what we know about them. Other than that, if it's embarrassing to the government, if it means the government made a mistake, too bad, release that information I think you'll find that the public is quite tolerant of the admission of mistakes in that contest context because many people made mistakes. The problem, the issue now is to fix it, not lay blame all over the place.
0: Michael Kempa, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate your insight. I hope the weekend is quiet. I hope so as well.